Diane. Hello. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. And on this episode, we are discussing part six of Twin Peaks The Return. Yep. It was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on June 11th in the year 2017. What happened this week on this Twin Peaks well, on The this, Return? Well, on this installment of The Return... Cooper saves Dougie's job with a bit of that Mr. Jackpot's intuition, and Janie E. cleans up Dougie's mess. After an illicit meeting, Richard Horn commits an unbelievable atrocity witnessed by Fire Walk With Me's Carl Rod. The Buenos Aires calling woman is brutally murdered in a Vegas-related hit. Hawk's investigation catches a weird break. Albert satisfies the internet, and Chet is Chad. That's very accurate. That's accurate. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I want to start with, just what did you think of this episode of Twin Peaks? Oh, man, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm maybe slightly more mixed about this one than I was about, for instance, last week's. Yeah, this week, it, had a, it, ha, it has the same thing going on in it that the whole season has had for me, where at the end of the episode, I feel like I've seen nothing, but at the same time, a ton of things have happened, sort of just from a number of events that they managed to pack into a slow-seeming season. But at the same time, all of those things and sort of the amount of setup and just sort of mid-plot churn, this feels... This feels like what if Mark Frost and David Lynch were given 18 episodes of Twin Peaks, right. uh, I guess. Is, is, uh, it just, it, yeah, it feels like we're in the middle of a TV season now more than the sort of the beginning did to I me. Mean, the thing that this episode sort of, um, I think, puts in my mind, and this is not necessarily, uh, this is not necessarily a, um, a criticism per se, but it is a big difference, I think, to the original run of Twin Peaks. A thing I'm realizing is the way Twin Peaks worked, the original series, there were a lot of characters in that show, but typically you'd see a couple arcs at a time mm -hmm. and you'd go through, you know, I mean, obviously there's the big arc of Laura Palmer that is sure. runs throughout the whole thing. But for the most part, you kind of go through several episode long chunks where a few characters are focused on. And even if they're not overlapping very much, they have time to breathe and we really live with those characters a lot. The only character we're really living with a lot in, in this season as totally represented by the show in the fact that Kyle MacLachlan is the is the only sort of top build starring uh, actor at the end of each episode is Cooper as Dougie, who I, I mean, yes. which I will say is an, an absolutely spellbinding and excellent performance by Kyle MacLachlan, but also by design that character is so hollow in terms of his any sort of complex thought that it's 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 quite a difference to what we're accustomed to in Twin Peaks in which we these yep. characters really live in a world and we live with them we most of the other characters in this season simply we just aren't given enough time with them to really really truly yeah. know them and live with them the entire show feels like it's this sort of whipping whirlwind swirling around Dougie. So you're only just catching these little glimpses of these barely related things, except that then 
I guess accidentally to continue my whirlwind analogy, Dougie is also just an eye of a storm. Like there's not actually a thing right. there in the middle yeah. of all of it. And yeah. it, it's, it's, yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. I mean, in this episode, he, I mean, it's, yeah, he is definitely the Mr. Magoo tripping through the eye of the storm completely either unaware or unable to exert sort of um, in significant intentional agency beyond what he somehow manages to succeed into through means that are in some cases luck and in some cases seemingly supernatural or Black Lodge related. Yeah. Um, which is, <laughs> that was a really funny thing. His like children's coloring book thing? Yeah. Yeah. It, it Yeah. I was watching this episode. I mean, well, it, now it, it's gotten to, uh, I, w- I wasn't sure how, how sort of self-aware Frost and Lynch were of people's desire to see Cooper not be Dougie. Like at first it felt <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. we're seeing a season that's, that seems like it started off as nine episodes and got drawn out to 18 episodes. Like that's the sort of story behind the scenes. Who knows how much of this plot was written before sure, yeah. when they signed up for nine and then went, oh, it's actually going to be 18. Can you imagine fitting all of these different characters and subplots into nine episodes? Right. We're now impossible. at a point where had we been in the original announced run of Twin Peaks, there'd be three episodes left until the season was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to now, we're a third of the way through it. Right. Um, but seeing, you know, Mike screaming, wake up, and just like the some of the scenes with Dougie just marinating in who he is, I didn't... I. Even when we got Dougie in, the, in like episode three, I did not think that the season would actually be about him yeah. and about sort of Cooper's reemergence into the world as a human being, but through this lens uh, yeah. of of all of the different things that it is. Yeah, I mean, this definitely we we have frequently raised comparisons to uh, David Lynch's film work, mm-hmm. uh, particularly his later career, and I think that is those comparisons are all the more appropriate at this point. Um, I think David Lynch, again, especially later in his career, is simply less interested in really exploring the very kind of specific human scale motivations of individual characters and is more interested in uh, characters as sort of symbols or maybe symbols is overstating it, but like, you know, cinematic tools basically for whatever his larger goals with the work are. Yep. And that is how that is very much how this season feels. And again, this isn't this isn't a criticism. I think it's a really really interesting usage of television and certainly one we're not going to get from from anyone else. Certainly no one given a a budget of any size and a and a platform to blast it out to, you know, millions of homes. Right. But it is it is an adjustment. I mean, it is probably not what most people expected. <laughs> yeah, including no. myself. I guess I don't know. What I, I don't know what I expected. I honestly, I think that what I told myself we were going to get was a and with mixed expectations and mixed hopes that this would be the case. I was expecting just a longer firewalk with me, maybe a longer firewalk with me that was married to a Mulholland Drive. I didn't expect mm. to get. In some ways, that it, it does. You could c- call it that in some ways. It is. It, that's. I, I had but ex- leaning a lot more on the Mulholland Drive. Even Mulholland Drive is, I mean, Mulholland Drive has to fit in two hours. It's just yeah, so no, much more true, focused than this. Yeah, this just we're just getting yeah. this yeah, yeah. this crazy, crazy meditation on this character who is a character that 
usually would not be deemed worthy of this extended a meditation on their life, I think, uh, by anyone else who's going to make a TV show. Mm -hmm. And that's... uh, Yeah, that's an interesting... I mean, we should probably um, soon start moving on to the actual specific contents of the episode, but that is an interesting thing, right? This is only possible because we've sort of been grandfathered into... You could never launch a series about Cooper as Dougie. An FBI agent comes out of a dream (laughs) and where it is Dougie. (laughs) Yeah, America's gonna go crazy for Dougie, says prestige Uh, television. It's uh, zombie Cooper as Dougie. I mean, that's what's like... It's such an sort of abstruse (laughs) thing. Uh, You could never have that in a television show and you probably wouldn't even ever do it in the third season of a show in which the second season ran within the last four years. No, this you know, is, this it's is what only you, possible in this incredibly specific way. This is what you do either when you're a prestige television show coming back 25 years later or your show got canceled, but you contractually have right. to film yes, 18 more episodes yes, of it. Yes, yes, uh, yes. One of the two ways where you're allowed <laughs> to do whatever you want. Um, one sort of broad thing I want to talk about before we get into the specifics yeah. is especially in the last couple episodes um, when we've just been living in, in, in Dougie world. Uh, it's been interesting to me to think about what Mark, about Mark Frost and David Lynch as two guys putting the show together, together, like uh, during the original run and during Firewalk with me on this podcast, we talked a lot about just those guys collaborations and where they focused and what they didn't do. And I, and I've been finding I guess I, I guess the simplest breakdown is probably that Mark Frost is the person who's just laying down all of the plot that actually keeps the show propulsive at all. Where, but but it's um, I I was thinking about it more in a sort of Twin Peaks dorky way about like the fact that this season is the first time that Mark Frost is writing about things like Garmin Bosia and the Owl Cave Ring. It's the first time mm-hmm. that Mark Frost is writing. Um, stuff involving the fat trout trailer park and Philip Jeffries and all of these things that he just had nothing to do with. Um, and on the other hand, David Lynch is back into wacky conspiracy theories and having to sustain a world that can exist for 18 hours. Like, I feel like the two of these guys, it's interesting. It feels like the sort of, um, not generous reading of it, I guess, which I sort of saw circling around before the show came on was that it would, it's like when a rock band breaks up over huge personal disagreements and then you see them again at like at the state fair and the two lead musicians are back and they're playing each other's hits <laughs> that they got in huge fights over, you know, that yeah. they didn't like, but now it's how they're getting paid. It doesn't feel like that though in, in practice, but it's still, I'm, I'm excited for this show to run its course and for those guys to get comfortable enough talking about it because the process of how this Twin Peaks showed up, I still can't personally entirely untangle, but I feel a responsibility all the time when watching it to try and not just go, oh, well, that's just David Lynch doing his David Lynch thing because from anything they talked about before the run of the show, it sounded like they just spent hours, days, weeks, months working on the story of this together. Absolutely, but I think a lot of the thing that I'm sort of reacting to, I mean... Not to be presumptuous, but I think a lot of it really comes down to editing and how the material on the page is sequenced. I mean, from all accounts, this material was all sort of there in a big pile and shot in sequence and then, and then edited reformed. Yep. into episodes. And it's very easy to imagine um, 
I mean, this is a completely hypothetical thing. That is not, this is not like my secret desire. I'm just, as a complete example, if you just had the Cooper stuff and the Hawk stuff, and, I mean, if you just focused, you could focus on any three of these threads mm-hmm. that exactly as filmed, right? And give each of them three times as much screen time mm-hmm. and adjust the episode count to, uh, to right. fit. And like, you'd have a totally different there's Yeah, there's, there's the conversely show. a world where you take probably all of the spoken dialogue and descriptions of environments over the entire 18 episodes, shoot it at the cadence of like the Twin Peaks season one finale, which was a crazy rapid fire episode that included every story thread mm-hmm. and was just like right. plot slam and like lay some bad lamenty patter over it. And you probably could fit this entire season into nine right. really concise episodes. So it's, I mean, yeah, no, it's true. you're probably, you're probably right that what's on the page versus what's on the screen. I mean, you're probably right is an even goofy way to frame it. You are absolutely correct that a ton of what we're getting out of the, or just from the stylistic and pacing and just experiential standpoint is coming from Lynch and his editor, Dwayne Dunham and the rest of the editing team. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I mean, this episode actually was interesting in that regard because it has felt like, uh, and I'm sorry, we can move on after this, but sure. Honestly, episodes one through five, the thing that they did have in common to me was I felt like we were, I guess this episode has Hawk finding the thing with the nickel, but like Mm -hmm. generally the feeling of there being this sort of like elaborately constructed, meticulous, plot heavy sort of Twin Peaks-esque mystery conspiracy felt very strong. And like every episode was always marching that plot forward. Like there was some big forensic angle or some new crazy, very elaborate conceit introduced that was sort of building this mystery. And this episode w- fell far, way farther back into just showing character events. With the, I mean, with the exception of some very surprising things like um, Richard Horn running over the kid in his car, um, which was whatever. We can talk about that when we get to it. But this episode leaned way farther back from there's a box with a bunch of SD cards in it and Albert and Gordon like interviewing a person who has a weird pitch toned voice and like examining flipped fingerprints and like all that stuff. This was, this was a lot of just sort of slow human beings being slow. Yeah, that's true. Although there were multiple crimes committed and Hawk's thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, I, 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 that stuff just felt different to me. It felt, it felt less of the sort of like, Procedure. Like the all-seeing eye in the middle of the Illuminati triangle style of stuff was not in this episode as much, and there was just like fucked up stuff uh, yeah. or or sad people. Yeah, I think that's 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 fair. It's hard for me to one hundred percent feel the same way simply because um, I've felt so ungrounded from so many. Like we have, we're intentionally given so little context for what any of the um, kind of center uh, centralizing threads of any of these things are that it almost feels like anytime we're about to start piecing them together, it is inevitable that the following episode, something weirder will be introduced into that. Yeah, that, that didn't it, happen this week, though. I don't think that something weirder... I don't I don't yeah, feel I, like this this episode... Yeah, I, I know you're you're the one who, uh, of the two of us, I think, who's the most inclined to just poo-poo even the idea of speculating and asking questions about no, the I mean, weird it's things not proposed. not really what I'm talking about right now. I know, now. but I mean, well, I think that... I, I, don't, I don't think that you are, but I think that the previous episodes have felt different to me because they are often raising those where you'll just be introduced to mm-hmm. something unknowable that you, it, there's a good chance that it will not be addressed in the next episode. And that, like you said, it will just be destroyed by something even weirder happening. But this episode, I don't feel like people walked away. Like I didn't w- at least walk away going, what does X new entire concept that we've been presented mean? Mm-hmm. 
I kind of felt that way about the assassins stuff, and to a certain, to a maybe lesser extent, the uh, reveal of Diane. Okay. Um, but I, but I, I totally, I, I do understand. I take your point for okay. sure. But well, so we should, let's talk yeah, about let's, what's inside. Let's move this, on to the episode. What's, what's yeah. in this Twin Peaks episode? Um, well, we, I mean, we've, we, I think by impl- we have sort of by implication uh, already discussed a bit about Cooper as Dougie, but yeah. we should talk about that because it was a huge chunk of the episode. Yeah. Um. We start exactly where we left off, basically. Yeah, right? precisely where we left off. Yeah, that yeah. felt like uh, that felt like that may have been a necessity of editing. I'm not sure if that's true or not because, like, I thought it, I I loved that last episode didn't end in the roadhouse and ended Me with too. I loved with it. Cooper touching the shoe and that I think it was a Johnny Jewel song playing in the background. But uh, this episode felt like it like just faded down and then faded up right into that exact scene. Whereas episode five had a roadhouse scene in it 10 minutes before the end. And I wondered mm-hmm. if that was like, uh, whoops, we had one 50 minute episode and one 70 minute episode, oh, yeah, I but whatever. I don't, I don't, I, mean, I, liked, I, I don't care because the, the end result so, yeah, yeah. felt really good. Yeah. Um, and then Cooper was taken home by one of the most, Wait, we a- should, you should mention the, um, the, what was someone pointed out on our forums as I'm sure discovered by someone somewhere else. Oh yeah. The, um, that statue mm-hmm. uh, with which Cooper is obsessed is a statue of uh, – it is a – well, I mean, I don't know what the actual statue itself is of, but it's clearly modeled after or bears striking similarity to the movie poster for a film called The FBI Story starring Jimmy Stewart. I think so, yeah. Uh, wearing that same kind of Western – Get up and, and pointing the gun, aiming a gun in that same way, uh, and that was just a. It, it, I think the the general emotional takeaway from that is basically what we discussed last week, which is that Cooper sees these remnants of his FBI yep. life and somehow grabs onto them. But it's a cool, it's a cool additional it's, bit of specificity. It, it there. also, if you really want to, if you consider, I think the there's like. The autobiography of Agent Cooper that was released oh, at one right, point, right, right, of like, uh, and in that, uh, he says, "Above my bed is my most important personal item: a poster of Jimmy Stewart in the movie The FBI Story, which only I can touch." And that was Dale Cooper, age thirteen, in that book. Yeah, that's amazing. So I don't know if that's uh, when it, was that because that book was released decades ages ago, right? I mean, in the nineties, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. That was who like wrote during, it? during Did Mark Frost write it. I don't know. I don't know who wrote it. I should. I should know that. I think it might have been someone else. I can't remember. But maybe look that up. But um, yeah, that is that is a. I really really like that because it's the kind of incredibly obscure dorky detail that if you somehow are aware of the reference, no matter whether it's you know the it's by Scott Frost, Mark Frost's brother. That's right. The autobiography okay, yeah. of FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper. My life, my tapes. Yeah. Because uh, if you're aware of any of these incredibly specific references, it kind of gains a poignancy there. But you absolutely don't need to in order to just take away the general dynamic of the scene. Like, it's a totally touching scene. Yep. Absent any of that incredibly specific knowledge. I think that, like, that that totally nails it for me. I love, I, I just love that. I thought it was really cool. Did you understand or have any read into what, Cooper slash Dougie was doing like putting his hand inside of his coat during. Oh, that? I thought he was trying to take the coat off. Oh, but okay. It's just sort of. Th- <laughs> but he's holding the files and every is like just encumbered. Yeah, I mean we don't. Yeah, I mean I think he seems to his hand-eye coordination and general awareness of spatial. It seemed to be that of a object child. Seemed, right, and so I don't like think the he way quite he holds the pencil. Exactly right. Yeah. So I mean I think he literally just like just trying to pull it off of him, not understanding. <laughs> 
that that is a more complex. Yeah, it was like an, like, a, like when you like make when your dog has to wear the cone or have a cast right. on or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I thought that was. Yeah, but I don't know. Uh, and then he's escorted home by like the most caring person Dougie has ever experienced so far of just a person who asks him a bunch of reasonable questions and then yeah. just uh, and is the first person I think to directly outright state like I think he's a little disoriented or yeah. something. I mean like no one actually people are like always giving him a weird look but no one even including his wife ever just yeah, says it, it seems like it's I mean she does finally once it is well, mentioned by that guy but and it, then she says you should go yeah go see Dr. Go, ben. I'll go take see, you to go see Dr. Go, go ben. see Dr. Ben yeah Every character in this, uh, I guess, has uh, yeah, a repeat name. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah. Chad. Yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, mea culpa. Yeah. We called him Chet, and we really wanted him to be named Chet. Yeah. I he's mean, Chad. If he's not going to be named Chet, at least he's named at Chad. At least he's named Chad. He'll always be Chet to me. <laughs> He'll always be the third Chet, but he's instead, I guess, the first Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned for more Chad. America's first Chad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll get some more Chads. Uh so he all, so after um so he i mean we i feel like at this point we comfortably know that Dougie was not an unremarkable average guy of normal sort of mental and emotional agility before yeah there's Cooper definitely showed up. always like, been something going yeah. on i mean which which figures right he's some kind of weird homunculus so yeah just yeah so what's going on with old, with old, what's his name? Dougie. Jeez. <laughs> I'm the new Dougie. Uh, a thing that was a very, very, very tiny detail. Um, the beginning of this episode in which Dougie is being, you know, encouraged by Janie to go say goodnight to Sonny Jim. Mm-hmm. But by right up until... In, I believe this episode marks the first time Sonny Jim actually says anything. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. He's just sort of looked happy or confused uh, right. or like secretly sad. Right. So until the moment Sonny Jim actually opened his mouth and spoke this episode, I reached my high point of being completely convinced that he was not Dougie's son or that he was mute or something. It was because even at the point at which Janie is saying, go say goodnight to Sunny Jim, she never changes her wording and says, your son right. or anything. Like, he, he he's never called dad by Sunny Jim. I was totally convinced. And then eventually, yep. uh, he called, Sunny Jim refers to him as dad. And I'm like, oh, okay. okay. So what on earth? <laughs> like, it felt so intentional, all of this, like, talking around. Yeah, I, I, I didn't language. notice it. But someone on the forums pointed out that Sonny Jim did another backwards thing in this episode. Like they oh, keep, I didn't pick that up. I didn't either. He blinked backwards in the car last episode, mm-hmm. and this episode, when Cooper was having his emotional uh, experience, when he was crying, looking at him, and this this week apparently Sonny Jim did another like tiny backwards thing in a, in a shot. Wow, so that I, is really like distressing. <laughs> yeah, I because I, I keep not noticing it, but it makes it it. it like those moments that are actually emotionally affecting, like Cooper seeing mm-hmm. him in the car, and this one where they were playing with the clapper, turning mm-hmm. the light off and on, feel like emotionally genuine. And yeah. that Lynch then just sneaks a weird artificial thing in where Sonny Jim does something completely inhuman yeah. is a weird like addition, like of undermining or uncertainty yeah. introduced yeah. into it. We're like, oh, maybe this wasn't okay. Nope, I guess it's not because this kid yeah. just was backwards. Man, that's really like distressing to imagine a child that is. A Black Lodge doppelganger or, or construction or just, in yeah, the way just that, yeah. 
secretly Oof. is just a weird gummy mask face yeah, uh, or yeah. will turn to dust when looking vaguely like Abraham Lincoln or yeah. whatever the hell we'll that was. sucked <laughs> into a power outlet. Yeah. yeah. Um, or not. Who knows? Yeah, who kn- obviously no, no clue whatsoever. Um, that scene was really good, though. I liked it a lot. I and did, I felt I so too. bad when when he got in trouble and had to go downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do we do you want to talk about him at work his stuff at, at work with his boss and the yeah incredible insights that he's <laughs> scrawled onto these I was I mean I thought it was quite an extension of generosity of his <laughs> boss to look through every single one of these files to even have the chance of finding whatever <laughs> sort of mystic pattern was embedded within them I mean the fact that he looks through like three of them and is like what the hell am I supposed to do with this and then diligently goes through every single I liked, additional one I liked that Dougie's repetition was almost played as like a Don Draper power move where he was like what did he say Oh, he uh, said, how am I supposed to make sense of this? Yeah, and, and then goes, Dougie says, make you make sense, sense of, of this. Yeah. yeah, he's like, make sense of it. And it was like, yeah. uh, but he like just had enough yeah. of like a sort of like. Insistence? Of or, like an yeah. insistence and like underlying menace to it, even though it was dead yeah. voice. It was like, it sounded like he almost said like, you make sense of it. And then the guy <laughs> just sort of was like, oh. Yeah. And he kept, uh, yeah. And then the boss's eventual sort of like statement of thanks is so over the top. He goes, Dougie. Thank you. I want you to keep this information to yourself. This is disturbing, to say the least. You've certainly given me a lot to think about. And then, it, like, it's so like, it's so funny. I liked the, like. Again, this is one of those things that like. How much did David Lynch care about the details of what Kyle McLaughlin was actually circling, as opposed to like. I bet you any money Mark Frost cared a lot and exactly. made sure that that was... Exactly, it. because I feel like when he was going through the pages, the insert shots that we got treated it all the time in a way that you were seeing some sort of like forensic presentation yeah. of like a genius savant doing things, right. but then it was directed as but Cooper coloring with crayon. But like yeah. there was some consistency to like the names that he kept highlighting and the yeah. lines and the that light, he drew. Well, the lights that appeared to, to indicate. Yeah, it was yeah. always the same names showing up in different places on forums yeah. and stuff. And I have no idea what it meant. I suspect there are people who are trying to suss it out, and there's probably a lot more internal oh, sure logic to it. There's a lot of screen captures on the internet right now of these insurance claims. If it ends up mattering, I'll it's be excited files. later, and we can talk about it then. Yeah, but yeah, for yeah. now, I... No, I mean, I'm excited for other people to do the work. Yeah, I'm I, 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 I liked... It, it did a very good job of conveying, even when Cooper was scribbling, and then also when the guy was looking through it, just like... The sort of haphazard nature of it, but you, the way that the names showed up and the way that it was sort of methodically leafed through as if it was something out of Zodiac or something, it, right. it really, yeah. your brain was able to sort of really grab onto the emotional mm-hmm. reality yeah, that, like the, that sort of, that there is something to this. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. It's a more, more intricate version of sort of comparing the fingerprints, which like, I'm not the kind of person who's going to pause the screen and get up close and to notice the TV that and they're reversed. It, but like, I yeah. get that obviously something's being right. significantly observed by the character. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, I felt that even more strongly. Yeah. The point that like yes. when when yes. the boss, because it's d- a more complicated series. Yeah, of and, and it's, when he started leaving through it and figuring it out, I was I understood why he did it because even when I saw Cooper just drawing the circles, I was I just caught enough in the shots that they gave to be like, okay, there is something to this. Mm-hmm. And then I really wanted to know what it was. But then when the boss said, thank you for this and all yeah. that stuff, like the most outrageous, 
you've solved all of the problems. It's like, okay, well, no, I don't need to know yeah. anymore because I, cause I, I was given the reward at the end without even having to know what it was. Do you think there's anything to the, I mean, I'm sure there is, but do, do you have any thoughts on the fact that he's drawing a sort of ladder and staircase motif? Yeah, it felt and, like yeah. he was drawing sort of visual images of sort of, I mean, we've seen him climb a climb, ladder, climbing yeah. up a ladder to uh, on his journey out. It feels like, um, you know that that yeah. It felt like they were sort of images of some attempt to ascend out of something. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I don't know. Uh, so they're really drawn out. Cooper I coming know. back to life, having having oh, Mike perturbed, perturbed right. Mike yes. just say wake saying, up, come wake you know, up, don't die, don't die, wake yeah. up, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've seen it. He's gotten a couple of those. And this they, one was very explicit, though. Of like, Mike, no, I know. Mike is I know, worried. I know, I know. Worried. Mike. At Mike as audience surrogate has actually yes. been very common uh, yeah, yeah, in since sure. since Cooper yes. escaped. Mike yes. has been like, this was not what was supposed to happen. And I believe that at, typically, as that has happened, it has um, been before Cooper ends up sort of again using his intuition in some notable <laughs> way, right? Or uh, or he pees. Or <laughs> brilliant intuition. Yeah, um, I. Uh, what was I just gonna say? Oh, I liked that they kept showing the other guy who clearly is gonna get destroyed by Cooper's childish drawings, like anxiously oh, looking at yeah, the meeting yeah, through yeah, the glass yeah, of like the what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, who knows what any of that will mean, other than maybe Cooper just walks out of it as Cooper having done something just and good and unearthed a criminal. But uh, it's been it's been fun to watch that guy. Realize that he's being played by what is, to his perceptions, a childish idiot. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to do you want to discuss Janie E? This is a scene that is incredibly straightforward, right? I mean, I think pretty much the scene is what it is on the surface. But did you have any sort of observations or comments about it? Which the one in the oh, sorry, I mean the one that we haven't yet discussed, which is the one in the park. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Because the other scenes, oh, right, there's where she gets with, the phone call with, yeah. in the house, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, one thing I guess to mention about, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. One thing to mention about this scene, just as an idle thought, is I want you to sort of recap your understanding of the connection between <laughs> these, those guys, the uh, demanding money, and all the other sort of Las Vegas-centered stuff that's swirling around, because it that stuff seems so incredibly high stakes that it's kind of difficult for me to imagine a $25,000 payoff on an expected $52,000 payoff being sufficient to just turn that off. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know. I've been trying. Okay. There are full disclaimer. There are people who are doing a far better job than yeah. we are of tracking all of the intric- yeah. intricacies of these things. Um, those two guys whose names, man, one of them is named Jake, which I remember cause it's my name. Um, <laughs> I almost just said the other guy's name is Chet, which is hilarious. It's <laughs> it's obviously not. Uh, we just need to, as this podcast continues, we need to start subtly seating in. Pretty sure that is those two guys' names were Chet and Chet. Uh, <laughs> but those two guys who meet her are the same two guys who were scoping out Dougie's house. Mm-hmm. Um, they, which that tracks. Yes, and. It's been hard to know if the like we we postulated are they doing that because something involving bad coop bad coop yeah. or was it because just of Dougie got in over his head with gambling right. debts? Then it turned out that Lorraine, that woman who uh, tr- who called Buenos Aires, I think last episode, yeah, 
also was talking to them about Dougie's house and about Dougie's car. Um, so th- that all all of the threads are somehow connected in a way that I feel is is impre- right. I mean, including Philip Jeffries. I mean, right, well, presumably so by Lorraine is talking to Phyllis Jeff- Philip Jeffries also. Bad Coop is talking to Philip Jeffries. Yeah. We know Bad Coop is somehow involved in the creation of Dougie. Yep. The hitmen are ostensibly after gambling money, except that they're talking to Lorraine. Lorraine and Dougie are being targeted by that assassin who mm-hmm. kills Lorraine this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the assassin was uh, given a file. That also included Dougie. The, the, right, that included Dougie. And that file he was given to by, um, I'm trying to remember that. The, the ma- guy in Las Vegas. The guy in Las in Vegas, this, uh, yeah. whose name I know, uh, his name is Duncan. I don't know if that's ever said aloud, but he's the guy who we were first, we were introduced to the Las Vegas thread through Duncan in episode yeah, two, yeah. when he was talking to an underling about saying, she's got the job, you don't want to work for him. And they never put nouns mm-hmm. on those things. Um, so this web is an outrageous interconnected mm-hmm. string of things and I don't think we have enough information to know how we don't know anyone's motivations for it other than it seems like there are some like high echelon players who are using just sort of guys like those two hitmen it feels like there's sort of there's some hierarchy of power and of sort of long game intent probably up at the top is Bad Coop, Mr. C, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. But beyond yeah, no, but beyond, just, beyond being able to sort of articulate yeah, yeah. how everyone is connected, I don't... No, no, that's all I wanted you to do. I mean, I, yeah. I was just... I, I mean, I, again, because the scene with Janie and the two collectors is so... Again, the scene is, rel- <laughs> relative to a lot of scenes in the show, is so incredibly straightforward and um, seemingly on its face... Um, understandable in terms of the relationship between the characters involves intense yeah. motivations that I wanted to make sure that we got a general recap of that stuff because it's, it's obviously it's, part of this like huge yeah. weird web. It felt somehow. to me like those guys are such low tier hired goons yeah. that them just being dressed down by a strong person with conviction yep. is enough to make them back off even though they only got half their money and then mm-hmm. they're going to have to with their tail between make their legs yeah. go back and say we only got half the money but who are they even giving the money to? It doesn't no, seem like no anyone idea. else cares about yeah. the money part. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the amount of money they're asking for, even the higher amount of money, it's one not. would imagine it's not a lot relative to the right. kinds of operations that seem to be, you know, the guy in this in this like fiftieth floor office in Las Vegas, right, putting out a hit on their direct boss, as far as we know, who is now dead. Yeah. So who knows what any of this means? Also, Dougie walked home with hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. So she lowballed these guys. Yeah, but yeah, she could I, have I paid them off enjoy, in full. I enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, on, yeah, as yeah. Just a matter of principle. I assume she, the reason she, she. I think her doing that was. I think she probably in- did intentionally as a smart move, not just to keep more money, but I think more to into like send a message that I do not have right. the money. Right. You Had need she just walked this. in and gone, sure. He, Whatever. Yeah. It's nothing to me. Like, yeah. you're then just on the hook forever, right, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to giving them a ridiculous lecture about the 1%. Yeah, exactly. That was really good. <laughs> like, uh, I don't think it's the 1% that gets extorted for gambling <laughs> debts, but, it's, you know. Oh, but but it was a perfect from her position. It was a great. Oh, yeah, no, it was yeah. great. It was I, great. I like that we drive horrible cars. Or like, yeah. We drive cars <laughs> that are old and terrible or something. It was a really good, good. It was, yeah. Very good. I liked it. It um, was good, like, Mark Frosty character dialogue. Yeah. Uh, the, um... Because we're already talking about the whole web, 
I want to talk about that woman who is assassinated, who the one who called Lorraine. Buenos Aires, Lorraine. Yeah. Because I real I mean I And her love, and her song. Love love <laughs> love that she has a theme. Well, didn't that it, it just happened blasts. the assassin opened the file, then once her photo shows up on screen, the yeah. music starts playing. Yes, yes. I love that. <laughs> God, that's what, the third time or something that it's, we've heard I think that it might, it, Maybe only second? It was either two or three. I think, yeah. It, yeah. We it, might have heard it twice last episode, too. Yeah. I can't remember. It. Oh, my God. I, there, I have no idea what it means or what the significance is, obviously, but just as a tonal choice... And as a surprising choice, because that is just absolutely not at all how Twin Peaks uses or ever has used music. Yeah. I am just completely in love it's with really that good. creative choice. Oh, I looked up the hitman's name. Yeah. It is a stupid name. Uh, it is Ike the Spike Stadler. Well, that's fine. What's wrong with that? It's good. Ike the Spike Stadler? That's great. Yeah, it's very good. That's great. <laughs> I'm sad that he uses a spike, and he's sad when he bends it. He I guess. Bends, yeah, he murders someone, and then it's bent, and he's sad. Yeah, which is a really Twin Peaks thing. That's a very th- Twin thing Peaks, to be. Yeah. And the fact that it gets bent in this like perfect two ninety degree yeah. angles—an impossible <laughs> way yeah. for that to get bent after murder. Like, there's no <laughs> way that happens, but it did, and he's sad about it. It's very Twin Peaks. We need to just visually convey that it's ruined. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just bend the shit it's out of it. Bend this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I don't have any other specific observations about that thread at this point. Okay, uh, we it can was actually you know okay. Well, the, at the very top of this episode, uh, I talked about this kind of being Mark Frost and David Lynch, Lynch's version of Twin Peaks season two, and I didn't entirely mean that in the they've erased. I mean they haven't erased season two. The thing that was interesting to me is how much that stuff has been honored. But this season's. The way this season uses death as a device in, uh, is very much more in line with mm-hmm. Twin Peaks season two, and I guess in line with just TV. Yeah. Um, this episode again, we see three people killed, two on screen and one off screen. Yeah. Every episode has had multiple bodies dropped. It feels like. Is that actually true? Well, last episode the car exploded. Yeah. The episode yeah, before that, I don't know if anyone died. This episode felt much more graphic than anything other than the teens getting murdered by the glass box effect, which felt and very- And Ruth Davenport's body you just see on display. Right. Which was but that computer both, generated so looking- That was gross. very stylized in a way that made it not quite as, hit as hard for me. And then the teens getting murdered by the effect felt so over the top. Right, and the photograph of their crime scene was really yeah, shocking yeah. when that showed but, up on but screen. But this episode featured a straight up you brutal stabbing murder and on screen also it, yeah. a child getting slammed into by a car. Yeah. Uh, which, the, yeah, oh, which one? Sorry. Oh, that was just, uh, that, uh, I mean, did, did you want to talk about that scene or oh, right the, now? The, or? Well, I, I mentioned all of this just because the woman, because Lorraine getting killed by Ike the Spike mm-hmm. It, it's just this pff, all of the different times that someone has been killed it's presented in a very different way and it does mm-hmm. a different thing yeah. for the story and it means something different it, and mm-hmm. it's it's a, in, the, in that regard it's very different than like the Wyndham Earl sort of throwaway well, okay, they weren't throwaway he buried someone in a paper mache chess piece yeah. uh, but it, I wasn't expecting this season to be such a sort of murder rampage to keep the plot moving. Mm. I wasn't expecting it to be sure. like double dealing through actual termination of human life. So yep. like in 
a thing that I really liked about early Twin Peaks was that there was one murder, Laura Palmer's murder, and then everything else, even though there was supernatural craziness around, it was influencing people's motivations and how they felt and how they behaved, but it wasn't just a world full of assassins and corpses and exploding cars. And I don't have any, I don't have any conclusions to that, I guess, but it definitely is a thing that's making it, it's making it feel different in a way that I don't necessarily think is, is better for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever, seeing that woman stabbed to death on screen was uh, shocking yeah. in, in other news. Yeah. Yeah. Although less shocking to me than the kid getting, getting run over. The kid getting run over, the kid getting, well, we could talk. Yeah. The kid getting run over was such the like movie angle of a large vehicle knocking someone out of frame that it, that I was surprised that it was a kid, but the sort of like it operated in the exact trope of how you shoot and convey that scene, like with modern technology. I feel like every you like the camera being held and then the thing goes from left right, to right, right and you right, see right. it just leave it the screen in a fraction of a second. Yeah, yeah but um, I guess the I was, I was surprised that this camera has stayed on her being stabbed as long as it did. Like it actually, mm. it was a little bit less intense, but reminded me of some of the murders in Zodiac. Like when you just see people oh, sure, just, just get, get eviscerated yeah. and the again, scene again, just gets again, bloodier again. and bloodier and it doesn't yeah, cut. Yeah. And then it did the, the other woman coming in and that's then him two, just, that's two Zodiac references so far this episode reader. I can't not. I love Zodiac. <laughs> I know. But then the other woman coming in, the coworker and him just sort of scrambling after her and leaving. That actually was the part that felt, the, m- the most sort of lynchy and twin peaksy to me of just like the the like just unsettling hunger that that guy seems to have at that yeah, moment yeah, like the combination yeah, yeah, yeah. of I'm doing something so bad that I have to cover my tracks with more violence and yeah. also just like it it got weirdly primal and, mm-hmm, and unsettling definitely. like that part was 100%. actually more messed up to me than yeah, the agree. killing of Lorraine, like the fact yeah. that he just kept going. Mm-hmm. And then it ended with him being sad that his tool was bent, which right. was then like cemented it as... So I just, <laughs> I just in an incredibly roundabout way, started by saying these things are all really kind of structurally annoying to me because they don't feel, it doesn't feel as Twin Peaksy and feels more like, I don't know. But in the moment, that scene, that scene played as inc- incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly Twin Peaksy and lynch- yes, lynchy. I agree. That didn't, I, I, I agree. At the time, even at the time, I wasn't. I didn't feel out of place for me for the exact reasons you're stating now. Again, to go back to the kid getting run over, the reason that one reason that has sat so weirdly for me at the time and since, in part, is so. I mean, one, it was just it was a crazy thing that happened with characters that were introduced just for the kid to be killed mm-hmm. for one thing um other than obviously there was also was a guy carl rod mm-hmm. who's the trailer park owner from Firewalk with me right who sort of witnesses this and has some kind of like sort of sublime moment or something unclear we get these long shots of people looking and sort of like they'll put their hand up to their face and they'll go through it was so stilted and strange and it felt like the the melodrama, melodrama was cranked up to a crazy degree, and it everyone was just kind of frozen in place. And I, I can't, I don't obviously, what? I've never been in that situation, so I don't know if that's accurate to life or not. Maybe it is. But when I was watching it and seeing all of the shots of the people and the mom with the kid and Carl looking on and it just cutting over and over and over again to all that stuff, it, I just. It, <laughs> Wow, I can't actually even express what I was trying to say. It just it 
it felt it felt like a different version of a melodramatic reaction to a dramatic event occurring in Twin Peaks, but it also it it still also did remind me of some of the stuff very early on in Twin Peaks when you didn't know all the members of the town and you were hearing about what happened to Laura Palmer. Okay, but we're, I guarantee we're not going to know any of these people ever. You're right. That's yes, that's true. Yeah, I I will say that I mean this is sort of in line with what you're saying, I guess a character we do know, or even if we don't know him, a character that the show clearly is telegraphing to us. Well, we were introduced to him more, even if we didn't yeah, know. Right. But even if we weren't like the camera just cares about him in a way, it doesn't care yeah. about any of these extras. Obviously I thought that what is the guy, Harry Dean Stanton? Yeah. He, I thought he in the very little that was written, I thought he did uh, his character conveyed a huge amount mm-hmm. just through his face. I mean, I, I, I thought that even go even before that scene when just when he's in the car, there's a moment in the car where he sort of smirks and it was just pitch perfect. Yeah, and I mean, I thought that character beginning to end absolutely knocked it out of the park. So he was the saving grace. Yeah, the other characters felt like they were directed to be like background people in a Renaissance painting of this right. scene or yes, something exactly. like that. But they was just held a little too long for me to care. Yeah, we should um, unless you have other specific things to say about this, we should move on because we're not we're, a couple a couple things. Well, we, yeah. we um, oh, there's all the numbers and everything. Yeah, well, specifically he is the. He's the owner of the Fat Trout Trailer Park, which is yep. the trailer park that uh, Chet Desmond disappears Chet Desmond, dis- who, yeah, is Chris Isaac's character playing an FBI agent, disappears in when investigating the murder of Teresa Banks in Fire Walk With Me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when the little... Uh, what's the trailer park guy's name? I just forgot it again. Uh, Carl Rod. Yeah, when Carl... He has that sort of emotional experience where he sees a little sort of spark mm-hmm. seem to leave the boy's body yeah. float up the camera pans up and then it disappears into basically a bundle of electrical wires yeah, which man, was electricity is just a would, constant theme in the season yes and th- it was also a theme in uh, fire walk with me it was really introduced yep, in that true. movie it's absolutely true and um it is worth noting that we we completely failed to mention something that was very I thought very striking, which was the return of the um, stoplight oh, interstitial motif, which happens. Uh, the stoplight turns red, and you hear electricity sound, and then you see yes. Mike in the red room pacing around. Yes. Yeah. And the yes, and the electricity sound I think is is notable because that wasn't a component of traditionally you just see the stoplight with ambient twin peaks noise right and then the stoplight yeah. silently changes we also i remember in the old rewatch episodes we always used to note what light color the stoplight just went from green to red yeah which, and then lingered on red and cut and then cut which is yeah. usually you either i think most often you get just a shot of the red light or of it changing to red but yeah you're right occasionally it would mm-hmm. it would do other things um and that at least before it gained any sort of formal meaning, I don't know if it ever did, but it tended to just to mean like bad activity increase. Like the yeah, it, it tended that, that to, was I think the emotional it tended general to be like thing I took from it. Yeah, whatever the foreboding thing is in Twin Peaks yeah. is sort of like the I, wave is about to break. Was yeah. often represented by the stoplight. I like I really really like the stoplight as a purely tonal and emotional motif, and I I, I kind of hope that the Static sound doesn't mean it's going to get tied into some incredibly specific no. Black Lodge electricity system. I hope like, so, too. There's, there, system. there's a couple other sort of just Twin Peaks meta plot things. The reason that Carl is going into town is to pick up Linda's mail from the post office. Linda is the other name that the giant, a.k.a. question mark, question That's mark, right. question mark says. That's right. That's right. So we cut 
and we haven't talked about Richard Horn's stuff, but we cut from a scene with Richard to the first mention of Linda. So this is the first time that even though it's only through the act of editing, mm-hmm. Richard and Linda have appeared back to back. Yeah. Um, the other th- piece, and I'm trying to look in my notes for when it happens, is we cut to the power line slash phone pole with the number six mm-hmm. and the... Um, 324810. Yeah. When does that actually show up? I'm trying to remember. In this episode or elsewhere? Yes, in this episode, when do we cut to that? Uh, I believe it is. Is it right when the when you see the kid, when the kid, after the kid gets hit with a truck, or is it is it earlier? It's. I believe it. Okay. It's it's after the. It's when uh, Carl Rod goes over to the mother. It's after he goes over to the mother. I believe. Right. Okay. So it's the end of that scene. We then cut to that power pole. Yeah. That power pole. I actually talk about it in the Fire Walk with Me episode because it's the way that it's shot in that movie like there's no weird numbers spread about about that movie the way that there are in twin peaks the return but that shot was one of those lynchy like that the power pole was sort of the equivalent of the ceiling fan to me in fire walk with me where the way that lynch shot it it was just an innocuous object that felt imbued with menace and meaning just because of the way Mm -hmm. that it was shot so to see it come back and to for it to be the exact one including the little dumpy numbers on it like well the numbers were different because the three two four eight one oh looked like kind of infrastructure, you know. Sorry, what, the, by the same numbers, I mean literally it's the same exact, like this is what it looks like in Firewalk with me. I'm handing you a picture of it. It's literally the, okay, same, the, same. the same exact pole with but the big number the, six and the, re- the small yeah. serial number. The reason I'm, this the thing I'm trying to mention is that the six, isn't that the same or a very similar font to the one used in the weird purple room? Oh, maybe. On the grates that Maybe. Cooper got sucked through? I thought it was, but I could be wrong. It could be, yeah. yeah. They, I mean, it's all sort of numbering you could buy in a hardware store. Right, but the but they're very different fonts yes. between those two numbers, and yeah. I thought one of them was similar. But Maybe I, not. I don't know if any of that stuff means, sure. means anything specific, but sort of electricity as a source of sort of power and as a conduit mm-hmm. showed up starting in Firewalk with me and obviously became really explicit when Dougie and Cooper swapped places through a power outlet, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was uh, so. Then we, a thing we didn't we have you mentioned in passing, but we haven't really addressed is that Richard Horn obviously is the uh, person. I mean, after being introduced to him through assaulting a woman at the end of last episode, in this episode he now meets the other guy who skeeved on someone in the roadhouse because yeah. the, we're now That's getting right. we're getting introduced to Richard to to the 2017 version of the Twin Peaks drug trade. Apparently, right. it seems yeah. like. Um. Yeah, the the guy that Rich the Richard Horn is being menaced by is a guy that we saw make some like finger guns at Shelley from across the bar, and it was unclear as to what their relationship was or if he knew her. That mm-hmm. was at the end of episode two, which yep. was sort of the end of the premiere two parter. Uh, his character's name is Red, and man, okay, <laughs> that guy is such the new Hank. I love it. I love yeah. that he is the new Hank. Instead of a he's, domino. Instead of a domino, he's got his little coin. He's got a di- I like that it's a dime, too. It's a dime. Like the least kind of like emotionally loaded coin. It's I like know. the lamest coin. He's got a dime. Yeah. He's got that same look. He's got like the Twin Peaks guy look it's where like, where you're like yeah. it's just a guy who is cast to look tough and is yeah. put in a leather jacket and told to make a mean face, but he's just kind of looks like he's just a sort of soft, smiley guy in right. regular life. He's just sort of just a guy like he could probably you know he's not like weak he's clearly a strong human like he is sure but they always cast these guys like it's just he has that soap opera tough guy look where yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not actually a hardened criminal you're just like 
a nice actor who's asked to play a tough guy. Right. And right, then right. in the world of the show, you're the toughest fucking guy <laughs> right. that there is. Yeah. Um, and I was really happy to see one of those guys back in full force, except that he did very weird Lynchian things. Yeah, he flipped a coin, he which flipped suspended, a coin, suspended in Suspended in very slow motion, yeah. ended up in Richard Horn's mouth. But then fell from the he air pull, back. Yeah, in, he pulled it out yeah, of his mouth, it but it disappeared mouth, yeah. out of his hand into, into his hand. It felt so much like the creamed corn trick, yeah. the creamed yeah, corn yeah, yeah, quote-unquote yeah. magic trick that yeah. the little kid plays uh, on Donna. Yep. In the, in the second season, I guess that was, in like one of Lynch's episodes mm-hmm. in, in season two. Uh, who knows what that what is meant to imply be implied by that, other than it was very powerful and very threatening feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, that, that is the thing that, that plus the uh, repeated usage of the word kid to refer to Richard Horn is sort of what, what sets him off. Sets and, him off. Yeah. Not a fucking kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, one very tiny thing I want to mention about that scene. I really, really, really enjoyed oh, the, the henchman, guy's how, backup with how the gun. How fucking pleased that guy he was, was so by pleased. He loved all of the dumb garbage that was happening yes. in front of him. He was smiling the entire time. And there are parts where his smile just in the way that like anyone who has to smile for like 10 minutes straight, eventually the smile starts to soften, but then he would refresh it and he would get back to a big old smile. And it wasn't a... It wasn't what you'd expect with a sort of uh, like henchman character like in the that muscle. Situation. Yeah, it wasn't the sort of like <laughs> smirk. It was a, just a full on like well, this is great. Part of that had to be that the actor time. was just like, "What am I watching right now? Like I'm watching this wacky, menacing goober do a coin trick." Yeah, like, I mean, I loved it. I assumed it was intentional. Yeah, I, oh, I mean, because he's you can see him the whole time. It's so funny. It was very good. Yeah, yeah but I mean, whether or not the actor was intended to be portraying a character who enjoyed it or like at the moment Lynch was just like, this is working for me a hundred percent. What's yeah. going on here? Uh, it's, it's different, but I really, it reminded me the thing, the thing that we didn't talk about with Wally Brando mm-hmm. is how much the actors who played Andy and Lucy were eating of that shit up. I, I how much know, they yeah. loved that scene. Yeah, they yeah. were having, like, they were barely keeping it together and yeah. they sort of kept, you could see them trying to sort of play it into being proud yeah. of their son into like smiling like proud yeah, parents. But yeah. every time Michael Sarah just kept talking and the camera wouldn't cut, you just, they were like, mm. yeah, it's so good. Oh, yeah. It made, like, that honestly was part of what endeared me to that entire scenario. Too, just I like, totally agree. it made it feel like those three actors were totally on the same page about their family being a hilarious, ridiculous, mm-hmm. good thing that they fully endorsed. Like, yep. had it felt like the actors who played Andy and Lucy were just like being the blank, undirected characters. Like sometimes in 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 scenes like that, if either if they decide to play it weird or whatever, I, I don't know. I, just the fact that they were totally bought into it made all of it feel more genuine and earned and less like a weird celebrity walk on with Michael Sarah. Yep. Anyway, no, unrelated. I, I totally I just, agree. That guy having the huge like just I'm loving life smile in the background reminded me of. Uh, of that and I realized that I hadn't talked about it two episodes ago yep um yeah uh we have very few threads left do you want to talk about Hawk yeah let's talk about old Hawk so do you think this is back to back coin moments which was interesting and uh, probably probably no direct correlation maybe there is one who knows but did you do you are you uh, of the belief that Hawk Dropping a was it Hawk who dropped the coin or did the coin just appear? No, I believe Hawk dropped. The okay, co- I think he dropped the coin. Yeah, it feels like Hawk Hawk dropped a coin in the bathroom. It was an Indian head nickel. He bent down to pick it up, saw that there was another 
like Indian head image on the bathroom mm-hmm. repair. The Nez, Pier- Nez Perce Manufacturing Company or something like that. Yeah. And that led him up to the the bent thing in the stall that he opened and yeah, pried the panel off. Pulled, pulled some papers out and hung out with fucking Chet. Chad. I know. Chad, <laughs> Chad, Chad, nay, Chet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you of the belief that this is the thing that concerns his heritage? I hope so, because that would mean that he's actually finding something relevant, which would be, not, I mean, like, I mean, I, I want any thread in this show to, like, conclusively move, move forward in some way, so I hope so. The thing, the thing that I thought those, pa- what did you, what do you think those papers are? Do you have any oh, idea? Oh, I haven't the slightest clue. I mean, it could be a drug-related thing where people, where someone, one or more people from the sheriff's department are involved in illicit activity. I, I, if I had to guess, I guess, but I don't know. If okay, well, if the thing that he found is in fact the clue from the log lady's log, yep. then the thing that his heritage led him to is something that's missing, and this is an outrageous. Well, this is an outrageous leap that I made that I then saw some other people on the internet believed, which again didn't help confirm or deny my theory because everyone believes all sorts of things that turn out to not be true or false. I wondered if this is such an irrational wonder because uh, it's totally backwards and sure. we just make things make sure. sense. There are. Laura Palmer has kept multiple diaries and they have pages mm. removed from them. We explicitly saw in Fire Walk With Me that in her very first dream thing when she hangs the painting on the wall and bloody, bloodied up Annie shows up in her bed and says, the good Dale is stuck in the Black Lodge, write it in your diary. Mm-hmm. And those pages have never been read ah, or referenced. And this is but the diaries the, have gone in and out of the police department. The women's room as well. Yeah, and I wondered if... Th- that would be such an outrageous jump because yeah. I don't know how those got into that stall well, other sure, than just yeah. every cast member of Twin Peaks went in and out of b- bathrooms during yeah. the... Yeah, that's right. It was the women's room because I was also wondering... Why like, was he even in the women's room to begin I with? Don't know, I don't know because at first I was wondering is the thing that he's going to find in there somehow <laughs> related to the only other time we've seen that seen a Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department bathroom on screen to my memory, which was when Mike was in there uh, injecting himself to oh, try right. and suppress right, right, or right. when Gerard was yeah. trying to suppress... Mike, but I. But then it, it was the women's room, which for some reason Hawk and Chad were in. Yeah, like why did Chad poke his head in at all? Why I don't know. To be a Hawk dick. Yeah. Um, but that's an outrageous logic leap. Regardless of what those pages are, I hope that this is that. I mean, it seems like they've Hawk is looking for something that's missing, quote unquote, and. It would be the most convenient and probably just pleasing thing if what he finds is literally just the thing that was missing from all the case files that mm-hmm. he and Andy have been pouring over. Yeah, that would be great. And it's like, it makes the most logical sense, too, mm-hmm. that the thing that, although I'm sad that it's not the uh, Indian Heritage book in Ruth Davenport's yeah. apartment. Um, speaking of records being kept in the original run of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. uh, Albert meets Diane. Yeah, oh yeah, that's I think is that the last scene that we didn't t- touch on so far? Uh we didn't touch we didn't talk about the tr- the new Truman's wife scene. Oh yeah. We can we can end on a high note and talk about that scene. So let's talk about uh <laughs> Well, do you want to cap that off I guess since we're already talking about the, the sheriff's department? Okay, I I that scene that scene that whole sort of beat it almost felt to me like a test. Um <laughs> How how do I phrase that exactly? Like that, the way that the show has chosen to portray Sheriff Truman's wife did not come a, come across to me any better. Simply because that woman says, "Don't you understand the trauma that she went through? Her son committed suicide." Yeah, and I feel like for some people, 
hearing that just spoken aloud as the plot will be enough to justify it because you'll paint a big right. emotional picture in your brain and go, well, of course, now that I know that canonically that's the history mm-hmm. of that character, I can for myself try to understand why that could lead to blah, 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 blah. blah. For me, I felt it, it felt it, like it doubled down on cheapness to yep, me I personally. I, I've, no, I, I, agree, I was I like, her. I didn't feel like her behavior as sort of a one note parody of a nagging wife was earned and I didn't feel like a character just turning to the camera and saying you should feel bad for this character because of you know because her child yeah, committed because suicide arbitrary plot device which that is we're like simply inserting you know as a, as a device I mean as just a thing that would happen yes your child committing suicide is terrible Traumatic, yeah. but just literally saying that aloud and then just turning back to your desk and doing an eye roll doesn't well the show also I mean I think the show doesn't do itself any favors in that regard by Chad's response also being the most cartoonish. Like who the, even the biggest dipshit of like in the world like that, it, it it makes it so easy to have a sense of sympathy that is incredibly thin. Yeah. Uh, It's like, okay. Yeah. Chad's an idiot. Like, I mean that he's such a ridiculous idiot. Um, but the, the 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 main reason I feel that way I think is because it, this is something that I think this show is just going to struggle with for a while, or at least rather I am going to struggle with with this show, which is that we with any given character in this show, save Cooper and maybe a couple others, we are given so little time with them. Like all we've seen of this of this character is she comes in and and screams at Truman that's literally all we've seen we've barely seen more of Truman himself right we you know we all we know of Chad is that he's this like every single scene is him being a dipshit yep this woman who says the thing about the I mean that's her only role is to just inject this we don't know any of these people yep except in these incredibly narrow yeah, we're getting a, roles anyone who's directly connected to Dougie we're getting a little bit more of like Janie yeah, E a right. couple of the people yes. in his office yeah, yeah. but the the Twin Peaks people, it feels like, even with the older characters, I mean, with the older characters, it feels like it's we're being asked to take it on faith that what they're doing is genuine and interesting because we have things invested in them from before. But I feel like we're just given the tiniest coding, and then it almost works. Like Andy, Lucy, and uh, Hawk, and the Log Lady are on the knife's edge where sometimes their scenes play really well and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't. But the new characters of Twin Peaks, especially, it's just like, yeah, we're just, we're not, mm-hmm. you, you glance off them so quickly. Yeah. Yep. So I, I don't know. I guess that's that uh, for now. We'll see. Yep. Um, we should talk about Albert. Oh, just, yes, we should. S- one structural note about mm-hmm. that is, the needle seems to be slowly bending towards Twin Peaks over the course of the season. Yeah, like this true. episode, we spent uh, this episode we spent way more time in Twin Peaks with the Richard Horn storyline. Mm-hmm. And last episode we had the uh, Norma Shelley and Shelley's daughter yeah. stuff. Oh, <laughs> speaking of which, the German waitress at the Double R. Oh, Heidi, giggling away, giggling Heidi. David yeah. Lynch's favorite. David Lynch loves the Double R. Like yeah. he's he yeah. loves Shelley. I mean. Uh, Norma is just good in all things as uh, canonically in the Twin Peaks rewatch <laughs> world. But Heidi shows up in David Lynch stuff, especially like Heidi gets a scene in Fire Walk With Me, which is outrageous given yeah. how few characters get a scene in Fire Walk With Me that made the, the yeah. cut. Anyway, yeah, when I heard that giggling, I was like, why is there, who is this giggling? 
Oh, wait, it's Heidi. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot that was her name, but I, but yeah. I definitely remembered the laugh yeah. instantly, which sounds the same. It was really good yeah, that, Heidi's, really, that Heidi's really still on staff it. for the yeah, double R. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, anyway, Albert. Albert. I, Albert. I really, really like Albert in this se- in this season. Yeah. I really, That's really true. like Albert him. is a character who we're getting a ton of time with, and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean- by the way, that tells you something about how much time we get with characters. Because you said we get a ton of time with Albert. We're not, we're getting no time with Albert, but That's relative the to a lot of these, the time we get with Albert is very three D yeah, as well. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. character rich and yeah, like yeah. it's it's heavy on yeah. on sort of traditional character yeah. acting. You Albert's get, Albert, his scenes are meaty. No, it's true. Albert's introduction in the scene as a visual reference gag to singing in the rain. And then him cursing out Gene Kelly. Like, fuck Gene Kelly. What a fuck. ridiculous, <laughs> hilarious thing. Well, the, you, I mean, you're first introduced to him just in a car talking to Gordon Cole on cell phone. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. But yeah, then then <laughs> then he is yeah then he is mad at singing in the rain. I mean, also Cole in this in this episode, just in that one line, it was hysterical. The like this work is very important, and I will be thinking of you as I drink this. Bordeaux. Fine Bordeaux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Ugh. What was Max Von's bar a reference to? I don't know. I feel like that is Max that is a direct reference to a to something that is ob, that is like known to most people and I can't I can't remember and it's I'm an idiot. So someone scream at us and yeah. tell us why we are dumb. Other uh, than that, that scene was incredibly short. I mean, Diane, who knows what Diane was ever going to look like, has a very David Lynchy wig on, is Laura yeah. Dern. Diane yeah. is just turns around and is revealed to be the ultimate David Lynch character. Yep. It's Laura Dern wearing a weird, like, white blonde wig. Mm-hmm. In a smoky bar. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Being kind of aloof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's the, it's the Lynchiest. Um, all right. Well... I guess that's that. Were the, I mean, I would do some emails, but we're kind of way over time already. Yeah, we keep delaying emails, which is bad. No, we read a bunch last week. Listen, <laughs> maybe we're just alternate. Maybe we maybe they're uh, odd numbered episodes only. <laughs> maybe. Uh, well, please continue. D- please do continue sending us your email. Uh, send it to twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Is it a reference to Max von Sydow? I don't know I why don't it know. would be. I don't know why it would be that. Yeah. Anyway, twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Tell us what Max von's bar is. Yeah. Um, maybe it's not a reference. I don't know. I thought it, I, it sounds like one. Um, also, if you're interested in discussing episodes of this show with the Twin Peaks Rewatch community, you can do that if you go to our website at twinpeaksrewatch.com. There is a forum link on there. And Twin Peaks Rewatch has a has a whole subform in which every episode of this show and by extension every episode of Twin Peaks, going all the way back to the original pilot, but um, continuing every week now, um, just gets a whole discussion thread, and it's great. There's really good stuff in there. Those threads are very active. Yep. Um, it's it's been really really fun to follow along, and I've I've seen a lot of cool inferences and observations in there. So if you're interested in that, TwinPeaksRewatch.com has links to the forums and to just where you can find us on the internet. And on that, we'll be back next week. Oh, uh, I, I have two Twin Peaks. Oh, sure. if, if you're looking for more discussion of Twin Peaks, um, there are a ton of podcasts out there, but I wanted to just call out two people who are writing about Twin Peaks, who I think are doing oh, sure. a great job. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, 
Laura Hudson is doing weekly Twin Peaks write-ups at Vulture. So mm. if you look for Vulture's Twin Peaks recaps, they're great. And the other one is Joel Bacco, who goes uh, on our forums and in many other places on by the name Lost in the Movies, mm. has a website called Lost in the Movies, and he's also doing a fantastic weekly recap. So um, they come from very different perspectives, but on the whole, like if I found that reading... I read them after I record the episode, so I'm not just repeating the things that they right. say. But I found that uh, reading those two people's recaps in combination, especially in combination with the Twin Peaks Rewatch Forum, gives you a very good, hearty, multifaceted appreciation for what's going on every week. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, again, our website is TwinPeaksRewatch.com. We will be back next week with more, and I promise to try and read some emails that time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.